You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through, he takes it again! Down goes Fraser! Down goes Fraser! He hits one, oh, what a goal! It's Lillard, he got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to this week's Sports Hub show on Fresh Air. Me, Peter Johnson, joined as usual by Alfie Steiner. This week, we've got a week of Premier League and European action to uh, review. And what a week it was. Some absolute shocking results in there for us to dive into in the next few minutes. And we've also got a thrilling international break on the horizon. So uh, we may have a little chat about England's forthcoming games against San Marino and Albania. Thrilling. <laughs> Thrilling, isn't it? Um, well, let's start with uh, one that Alfie, I'm sure you've got mixed feelings about, and it was probably the game of the weekend. It was at London Stadium. Uh, West Ham squandered a 3 0 lead against Arsenal, which I felt kind of summarised Arsenal's season so far. Capable of turning it on when you had to, or were capable of doing, but also just absolutely hopeless at times. Yeah, it was. It really was a diabolical beginning to the game. Like one of those ones where I think a lot of Arsenal fans and maybe even other football fans have seen Arsenal sort of capitulate in this way in the past. And it was very reminiscent of concede one that was quite a good goal. Then you can see two sloppy mistake. Then you can see the third and it's like, is there any way that this team can sort of hold the slide and you're fearing the worst? Um, it was a terrible, terrible opening sort of half an hour, essentially, that I was absolutely livid and furious about because we just didn't show up. We were waiting for them to get us, albeit credit to West Ham. They were, they were good. They, were, they knew that they, we were there for the taking and they punished us, but so sort of lacking uh, energy and, and discipline and focus, concentration, thinking that we could just sort of you know, maybe get by in the first half an hour without getting into first gear because of a, you know, a, a European game of the week or something like that. No, they were, they were lacklustre and it was, I was, I was angry after that third goal went in. I was really fuming, um, but managed to turn it around. And as soon as we got this first goal back in, I was not accepting anything bar not losing the game. Um and that came to pass, which thank God it did. I mean, for the neutral and even for me, it was a game of crazy emotions. Uh, we played some of the best attacking football we have all season in the second half and then had probably the worst half an hour of the whole season earlier on. So like you say, it really does sum up Arsenal's season, sort of unable to get past our our weaknesses and, and mistakes and, and poor form, but then also showing, you know, that there are, there is a good team there and... Yeah, it's a, it's an Arsenal side of two 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 faces, as uh, Arteta put it after the game. Yeah, well, he also said as well in see that the second half, as you alluded to, then was in fact probably the best you played all season. I mean, it was a, a game that was a, a love, love a crazy stat. There were a few uh, odd stats that came out of that game. The last time a team scored two own goals in a Premier League match, it was Swansea against Arsenal in January 2017. So you love a bit of help from the opposition. And um, the last time West Ham was scored three so quickly in a Premier League game was against Bolton. We love to mention Bolton and the statistics <laughs> back in 2007. Um, now, there is one player for West Ham specifically that I want to pick up on, and that was Jesse Lingard. 
who scored the fifth goal of his career against you. It's fair to say that if there's one team that really gets him going, it is Arsenal. And this is obviously in a week that he earned his uh, call-ups to the England squad. And uh, if we could just focus on him for a minute, because we've spoken before about kind of the transformation we've seen the last few weeks. And uh, he's, just, he's just going from strength to strength, isn't he? It's been another brilliant seven days for him. Yeah, he, he I mean, he really looks like he's, he's starving for... Uh... To make an impression at West Ham, he his goal was brilliant. Uh, sort of taking it on the on the half volley, you know, in a split second, he'd sort of with the outside of his foot smashed it in the into the top right hand corner. It was an excellent goal. He was full of running in the first half. He faded a bit in the second half, but so did West Ham. But yeah, he's in excellent form. I'm pretty sure every single game he's played, basically, he's he's contributed some sort of attacking return, be it an assist or a goal. And yeah, he's been recalled to the England squad, quite rightly so, given the injuries and his form. So, look, I I have a problem with it when it's against Arsenal, but I I don't mind seeing Lingard, given the ridicule that he faced at Manchester United. I mean, from from Arsenal fans and myself included, because I never really liked him at Manchester United. But at West Ham, it's sort of all right, because he looks to have found a club where he is comfortable and can deal with the with the expectations, but yeah, he's in he's in great form. Probably one of the the most informed players in the league at the moment. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, there's there was another player in Arsenal colours who struggled kind of for game time to make an impression in the last few kind of well, weeks, months, and years really, which is Callum Chambers. But he was uh, he was impressive as well, wasn't he? To be fair, he he had a, an an exceptional game at right back, and you know he basically set up both our first and second goals. Uh, for, with brilliant deliveries from the right-hand side, um, really tactically, I mean, technically assured. I mean, uh, I also point out that Martin Erdegaard was was unbelievable um, as an individual performance. It didn't maybe show in the goals and assists, but all three goals, came, he, he sort of laid on the secondary assist. He was completely running the show. He was he was the best player on the pitch by by quite a distance, really, throughout the game. And... Yeah, but but both those two and Lacazette, to be fair, all had really strong games, or at least with the players who sort of didn't let their heads go down. But Chambers, great to see him uh, get some minutes. And look, I don't know what the future holds for him because he's he's shown he can play a bit at right back. He's can play at centre back. He, he played for Fulham and central defensive midfield. So he's definitely a utility player who I think we can use for for the rest of the season. But you know, he's had such tough luck with injuries and stuff like that. So it's good to see him finally get back to his level because, yeah, we can use him on that right-hand side massively. So if we look at where this leaves Arsenal then in the race to the European places, it's something to build on after the international break. Six points off the top six um, with nine to play. So, you know, I think we're just going to keep saying this with every single passing week. Can Arsenal still reach the European places? Mm. Um, But, you know, six points off with nine games to play does seem like a does seem like a doable target if you can get a bit of a run going. Yeah, it's definitely doable. I think, look, we are we are becoming a better team and the only thing is we're hamstrung by our, our weaknesses which are not going away and that will potentially be the sort of downfall of the season in terms of whether we reach the European places, whether we get further in the Europa League as well. They, I mean, our, th- our, th- our last three games in the league, you look at it sort of, we're drawn to West Ham and Burnley. I mean, I don't think we can say we were unlucky to draw against West Ham. It was probably a fair result given we went 3-0 down. But again, you know, we saw how 
uh, as an Arsenal fan, I saw how we could play and we definitely had the capacity to win that game if we weren't just so terrible in the first half an hour. Beat Spurs, should have beaten Burnley. After the international break, we got Liverpool. Then we've got who are above us in the league, obviously. So that's a game, if you want to be climbing the places, you've got to be sort of targeting as as sort of a something you get points from. And then we've got Sheffield United, Fulham as our next two, and then Everton, who are also above us in the league. So again, it's like, if we're going to rise the table, the next four games, sort of two above us, two sort of in the bottom four, are going to be real indicators of whether we can sort of put a run together either side of, you know, our Europa League commitments against Slavia Prague. But yeah, it's um, it's not unthinkable to do, but I think we've if we finish outside the top six, I think it will just be a case of we gave ourselves too much to do and we're seeing that sort of represented within a, a single game at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a representation of the whole season. We started so terribly and now we've finally started to get better, but there are still signs of just this team being so stupid at the end of the day, just unintelligent. So well, that um, that Liverpool game next one up will be an interesting one, won't it? Because it feels to me like looking looking in from the outside that you kind of have a bit of a mental block whenever you play Liverpool. It always just seems to be an absolute drubbing or just a bit of a humiliation, really. Mm. Um, and with them obviously in such awful form at the moment, it would probably be a good test of well both sides' mentalities, really. Yeah, definitely. Especially after the the international break, you know, Liverpool would have had, I think, three weeks off at that point, albeit plenty of players going away on international duty. We, I mean, we beat them. I think we've got them. We've got them at the Emirates, so we beat them in the at the Emirates last last season, albeit sort of after Project Restart. It was a bit of a weird game that we definitely shouldn't have won, but we managed to anyway. So it will be interesting to see whether they can, you know, use this break effectively and sort of kickstart the rest of their season, the final stretch, or whether we can, you know, get a, a really impressive victory because that that would be huge, the three points. <clears throat> but we have shown we're a bit better against the bigger sides of late, especially at home, apart from if it's Manchester City. So, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one coming back from the international break. All right, then, let's turn our attention to the FA Cup. We had the four quarterfinals this weekend. Um, threw up some, uh, well, three rather predictable results and one maybe slightly less so. So we had Southampton beating Bournemouth, um, something to show for this season, which hasn't been a great one for them, uh, get a trip to Wembley. Um, Man City, in the end, they left it late, but of course, Gundogan and De Bruyne scored. And Chelsea um, only scored two against Sheffield United to get through. And then at the King Power yesterday, we had Leicester beating my United 3-1, which is perhaps the main the main talking point. Um, now, for me personally, I thought it was, just from a, you know, with it being the FA Cup quarter-final game at Wembley at stake, was disappointing in terms of, you know, the selection from Solskjaer. It didn't seem to me like the right game to be recalling the likes of Tellers and Van der Beek and mm. Jude Drop Fernandes and Sean in form players like that. Um, and especially with the fact that we see at kickoff, they didn't know that the draw was going to be against Southampton in the semi-final. Um, but with this kind of block that they've had on not being able to get past the semi-final, that surely was the opportunity to actually reach a big final. And it just the whole thing just seems to have been a, a complete mismanagement, really, to me. It's definitely a missed opportunity. Um, I mean, maybe lucky for you because you now you don't have the pain of, of sort of deciding who you're going to support in the semis between Southampton and, and Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they 
it's a big opportunity missed, I think, especially, you know, you, you I mean, away from home, even with a, a bit of a rotated side, I think the goal that you conceded initially was a terrible mistake. And whether, yeah, I suppose maybe a lot of Manchester United fans will be upset with the with the fact that sort of a weaker 11 started the game, especially with an international break afterwards. And the fact that there's a pathway to the, to the final of the FA Cup. Um, but I just, even after, you know, he made a quadruple sub, didn't he? After sort of, what, 65, 70 minutes or something, maybe a bit earlier. And I didn't really think that influenced the game as well. And he seemed pretty pretty um, assured that, you know, the decisions he'd made had been a combination of uh, sort of fitness monitoring and rotation and giving players minutes. Because I guess maybe, I mean, when else are Tellers and Van der Beek going to start a game? Having said that, I mean, you can say that it didn't pay off because you ultimately lost the game 3-1. But yeah, really disappointing, I think, for Manchester United. And obviously, as a United fan, I'm sure you you uh, weren't too happy with it. Well, no, I, I agree, obviously, the need to get you know the likes of Tellers and Van der Beek. Obviously, still in their first season, you want them to be getting minutes, given the chance to kind of try and establish themselves, um, as hard as that may be, especially in Van der Beek's case. Um but it just wasn't a game to do it. Just wasn't it wasn't a game to do it. That was one, especially if you look at it from you know the fact that City are still well and truly on to quadruple. And you know, from a Man United perspective, the FA Cup was the one trophy that was in United United's hands to try and stop them from doing that. Um so you know, from a selfish perspective, there was there was that. Um I just think generally, you know, in the game at Wembley on the line, something to get the fans pumped up about against Leicester, who, as it is, a third in the Premier League anyway, it just was, it wasn't a game for me. There'll be a lot more dead rubbers towards the end of the Premier League season for that to happen. And especially with it being the last game for all the international break as well, there's no need to rest players because United mm. aren't letting anybody go abroad. Like They're not letting Fernando go and play for Portugal, I don't think, for example. So it's not like these players are you know, going to be particularly run off their feet in the next few weeks. So, yeah, just complete, complete yeah. mess up, in my opinion. I mean, I was watching, I watched the game with a... With a with a couple of United fans and they, I mean, they, 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 they were pretty confident that you were going to go through even going one nil down. And, and then obviously Greenwood scored the equaliser after a really nice dummy from, from Van der Beek and, and a nice bit of play from Pogba down the left. And then I think they went two one up with a really good Tielemann strike. I think Fred was, yeah. was, uh, was getting a lot of criticism yesterday, probably rightly so from his performance I mean, he sort of let Tielemans go in the second goal. First goal, obviously, horrendous back pass, a really real Arsenal sort of moment that was. And then the third goal was just pretty weak defending from the set piece. I mean, I didn't think... I mean, Leicester were all right, probably uh, definitely deserved to win, but I don't think you really gave them too much to worry about, uh, whether that was because of changes or whatever. But yeah, they they were pretty confident that they were going through. I mean, at halftime, they were like, right... Southampton in the next round. Let's go. I was like, just maybe wait, wait a second. You're not quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, it's it, I cannot remember when United last lost an away game against an English side. I mean, they lost a couple in the Champions League against Istanbul and um, mm. Leipzig, and yeah, I think the PSG as well, but not in kind of domestic competition. So that was kind of slightly unfamiliar. Um, so there was reason to be perhaps quite complacent, but I think based on certainly the first half performance yesterday there was nothing really that suggested to me we were going to blow Leicester away in the second half um, mm. now it was a rather a week of two halves for Harry Maguire now against AC Milan on Thursday he was an absolute class act really 
I thought, kind of controlled the defence, um, was very calm and collected. Um, but then yesterday he just showed himself up and, you know, that £80 million, we've seen all of these photos of Leicester's new training complex coming out, that Harry Maguire's £80 million transfer fee was spent on this brand shiny new training complex. And just with every single poor performance he has, it just makes that just look all the better like value for money. Um, I mean, he's had nearly 4,000 minutes this season in all competitions, but he's he just there's far too many games where he just doesn't look at all composed. And yesterday was one of them. There was one where uh, Vardy sat him on his bum um, yeah, towards the start of the second half, wasn't it? And I just... It's in, that's just one of the most in, incredibly frustrating things for me that that you expect so much from a player who's just mm. so so erratic. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he's always going to live up to that price tag, and I mean, for the most part, I don't watch every single United game, but whenever I watch him, he seems pretty pretty competent. Yeah, apparently he was really good in the in the Manchester derby. You so say he was good in the Milan game. But maybe it is a case of, you know, playing so many games at some point, your level's going to drop off slightly. And I do think, yeah, especially in, in, in the context of the game yesterday, it was against Leicester, his former team who built the stadium and they've invested their money in younger centre-backs and, you know, beat you 3-1. It just, it probably hurts a bit more to see them succeed and, and you crash out of the cup with Maguire and your team knowing that they've, you know, really, really not taken because it's a good signing because, you know, he's a great defender and he's always ever present, but they, they sort of very much dictated the terms of that deal and, and, you know, knew what they were getting, what they could use it for. So yeah, frustrating, I presume for United fans. Well, I would say just, just not to stay on this for too long, but I don't think it's unreasonable to kind of compare the signing of him to signing of Virgil van Dijk and can, you know, terms of the transfer fee and the influence they were supposed to have. And then if you compare kind of how they performed relatively, like van Dijk's instantly the best centre-back in the world or, you know, top three, top five at any at any rate. Um, and you should, I mean, whether realistically it was ever going to happen is another question, but you should be expecting to see that kind of regular quality performance from Maguire. And that's frustrating thing, the fact that he can play so well in the games against, you know, City and AC Milan, and mm. then just have these absolute disaster classes far too frequently. I think that's the uh, the main grievance, to be honest.
right, move on to talk about uh, the European matches that we saw last week. Obviously, we touched slightly on the AC Milan United one just then, but we'll talk about all the Champions League and the Europa League as well. Now, I still talk about all the Champions League. There wasn't really an awful lot to discuss, really, because there were no real surprises. City, you know, solid 2-0 against Mönchengladbach. Madrid, um, reasonably comfortably through against Atalanta. Chelsea beat Atletico. And Bayern, though they already had a 4 0 aggregate lead and a sort of Lazio. So there weren't really um, many surprises, if any. Uh, but we did see the draw for the next round, uh, which we've seen PSG coming up against Bayern, City against Dortmund. Um, so there are a couple of interesting matchups there, which are probably more a, a better subject of discussion. Yeah, and, and Liverpool, Real Madrid as well. Um... Chelsea, Porto, which is a, probably the most favourable draw that they could have hoped for. Although Porto, I think, will will definitely give them a run for their money. Yeah, really exciting, the draw, because, you know, Bayern PSG, it's sort of a, an early rematch of last year's final. Um, whoever wins that will, will probably be the favourite to win the whole thing. I still think I'd, I'd probably back one of those two over Manchester City. Just well, given playing City in the semi, weren't they, as well? Yeah, exactly. So if City um, get past... Dortmund and, you know, the likes of Sancho perhaps returning to Manchester City, Haaland, who is a transfer target for them, or, you know, there's a lot of narrative within the game. So that's going to be really exciting to see how, you know, City's defence copes with uh, Haaland, who's on fire at the moment. And then, um, yeah, Liverpool, Real Madrid, sort of a classic, classic game. Um, Both teams sort of, you know, Real Madrid doing pretty reasonably well in in the league and Champions League, but I sort of view their teams as, slightly similar in the sense that they seem to be nearing the en- an end of a cycle. And obviously they were, you know, they met in the Champions League final in 2017-18 uh, season, wasn't it? And and Madrid won their third on the trot and um, sort of similar teams to that point, obviously without Ronaldo. So yeah, some really, really exciting draws. And yeah, the sort of, it's quite interesting to see that the, the, ne- the semi-final was sort of, the pathway to the final has already been decided, which is always interesting to see. Um, so, yeah, I think if City if City were to beat Dorman, then they'd get the winner of Bayern PSG, is that right? Yeah. Then Chelsea could get Liverpool or Real Madrid, which again would be very interesting. So, yeah, a lot of people are excited for those and rightly so. Um, who do you think, who do you just, who, who do you reckon is uh, the favourite for you? I would say. My mate thinks Chelsea are going to win it. <laughs> I, for me, it's whoever wins um, a semi-final out of Bayern and City. For me, um, mm. I think overall over two legs, I think Bayern will edge PSG, and I think certainly in the semi, I think Bayern have got a better chance of beating City over two legs. Mm. Um, although Pochettino has proved that he can uh, can mastermind victories over Guardiola in the Champions League. So, uh, yeah, I think the I think I, I envisage a Bayern City semi-final that will determine the winner. Although having said that, there is you know there's a great opportunity for well for all three English sides to reach the final because Chelsea have got a reasonably favourable draw. Real Madrid aren't the side that they once were, but then again neither of the Liverpool. Um, so yeah, it's looking good for the English teams, I would say overall. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it, it's looking likely that that yeah, at least one of one or two of the teams that are both in the Europa League or Champions League are sort of going to be into the semis and, and finals, hopefully, which is always good to see for English football. Um, and Chelsea are really looking like 
you know, no, I don't think anyone will want to come up with them against them. There'll be a really stubborn opposition. Um, and it's just eerily reminiscent of sort of seasons that gone by where, where Chelsea make a mid-season managerial change and then, you know, somehow manage to win the Champions League out of nowhere. So I'm, I'm sort of hoping that that doesn't happen, albeit, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, actually, no, I don't want Chelsea to win the Champions League. <laughs> I've still not got my head around this idea that um, Chelsea is suddenly this tough team that were really tough to break down. Like you said then that your mate thinks Chelsea are going to win it. I was like, where on earth has he got that from? But then you bear in mind, is it what they've considered two in 14 games or something? And, you know, you do fancy they can maybe do a job, particularly on a one-off game against, you know, City or PSG or Bayern, you know, anything yeah, possible. I, I still wouldn't put them down as favourites. I mean, I, I no. can see them you know, putting a good run together and, and being a tough opposition, but I just don't think they're at the level of, of the others. But then again, you know, maybe we, we don't quite know the extent to which Thomas Tuchel is having, you know, a really good effect on them. We can see it in the results at the moment, but, you know, um, it could very much still be the case that there's more to in the rest of the season from, from Chelsea, which is slightly worrying. I would say the four in that side of the draw, they've got the best chance of reaching the final and then eventually winning it, which would probably be an upset, to be fair, with you know, PSG buying yeah. and City on the other side of the draw. But, um, you know, your mate's answered, I've answered. I think it's your turn to have a stab who you think is going uh, to win it from here. Um, initially, I mean, initially I sort of thought to myself, well, Manchester City have a great opportunity to do it this year, but I think that was more out of, well, they really should try and win it this year because they've, they've you know, messed it up over the last couple of seasons. I still think that the winner of Bayern PSG will win the Champions League and I have a sneaky suspicion it will be PSG because I think they'll really really fancy it after losing in the last I think Mbappe's back fit again you know they're signing him to a new deal I think Mbappe's in excellent form under Pochettino as well so I, I'll go PSG this this year I think they'll, they'll go one one further but you know anyone could win it out of PSG, Bayern, uh, Real Madrid. Any any of the teams can win it. It's so difficult to cool. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because you've got kind of a blend of teams who don't traditionally do well in the Champions League, like PSG and City, who are two of the favourites to win it. And then you've got sides like Real Madrid and Liverpool, who historically are one of the top teams, but aren't in like anywhere near top form at the moment. So it all kind of evens mm. itself out. So there are a lot of teams who advance the chances, probably. Um but yeah, uh, just quickly, they they obviously are, are, are having a pretty pretty decent campaign, but they also have not quite. I mean, maybe more recently they've started to hit those levels, but they've been a bit more inconsistent this season. They haven't been sort of blowing away opponents left, right, and centre. So you know they're definitely not as strong as they were sort of at the back end of last year. So it is sort of whoever whoever fancies it most. It's theirs, I guess. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, quite uh, that inconclusive from both of us, I think, overall. But um, you know, who's who's to say at this point who could win it? But we'll turn to the Europa League, which has become a bit of a theme, which is perhaps where our attention's generally focused on a Thursday night. Um, so first of all, we'll 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 cover it because there are, I think, for both of us, there are there are more a, a interesting results from last week's Europa League to discuss, but. United with Pogba came on, scored after three minutes. Um, United saw a face in Milan. That was perhaps the two, I believe, were the two favourites of the competition up against each other. And uh, 
United managed only get, to get knocked out of one tournament last week um, by seeing in the Europa League, which I thought generally was a... I think it was always going to be a tough place to go. Um, interestingly, Oli picked a full-strength 11 for that one, but not for the FA Cup. Um, so I think that's a, you know slightly questionable there. Um, yeah. I'm sure he's got his reasons, but... Um, yeah, I think AC Milan showed that they were a decent outfit. I mean, albeit, I know Zlatan Ibrahimovic came on late on, but they were without him, who's, you know, he's been their, their main guy for the last year or so. So maybe you're slightly fortunate that he missed pretty much the majority of the 180 minutes through injury. But, you know, you a 1 0 win at the San Siro is, is very commendable um, to keep a clean sheet again. So it's a good couple of results for you and you sort of got rewarded with Granada in the in the uh, quarterfinal I think which is probably the nicest draw that one could hope for I would agree with that totally I mean to be fair I would say it's definitely not a given that United will beat Granada if we cast our minds back to was it the 2016-17 season when United won it um, and they almost got yeah. out by Celta Vigo in the last second I think it was, was it John Widetti the former City player nearly scored hit, hit the bar in like the last second or something um, yeah. so I think they're kind of a similar kind of calibre so uh, but then again it's not the semi-final so you'd expect United to win and then mess it up at the next stage so uh, we'll see well, yeah, the, the park isn't it from uh, if you win if you were to win that game you win yeah the- I mean it's set up to happen again Ajax and Roma one of them two in the semi right, yeah. so uh, we'll see as for Arsenal um, you've got Slavia Prague in the quarterfinal who've already been uh, not Leicester out that was a, as a reward for um, beating Olympiakos now you'll have to tell me how comfortable that was in the end because obviously Olympiakos won the second leg but you went into it with a, a two goal advantage yeah we, 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 we were pretty I mean we had two really good chances in the first half which we should have scored and we didn't and then we were pretty rubbish and non-existent until they Got the goal, which was, I'm trying to remember what it was. Yeah, a rubbish goal to concede, sort of nothing goal. And then Erdogan and Partey came on and we should have scored a couple more. I think our, we ended on it and an expected goals of about 2.5 and, and they were less than 0.5. So it was a game that we should have put to bed, but didn't. In the end, it was quite comfortable and, you know, fine. Slavia Prague again, sort of a decent enough draw. I know they've beaten Leicester pretty impressively. They obviously knocked out Rangers. I think they've been really impressive in on the domestic front, but then also going back to last year and the year before in, in European competitions, I think they they p- played well against Barcelona at one point when they were in the Champions League group stage. So I don't think it's going to be a, an easy an easy task. But then again, you know, we I think all the teams at the moment in the Europa League are sort of quite decent or have had decent campaigns, and then. Yeah, it's sort of the pathway again is um, it would be it would be I mean the the ideal script would be meeting Unai Emery's Villarreal in the semi final and then United in the final. Um, that would sort of be uh, how I would imagine it to go in an ideal sort of fantasy world. But Arsenal, I think if we, if we play how we did against Olympiakos and Benfica against Slavia Prague, I think we will not get through because. As much as we've been the better side, we've got away with it because we just get punished by making so many stupid errors. Yeah, I mean, regardless of the league they play in and perhaps the, on the face of it, the calibre of players they've got, they are a side who've knocked out the side third in the Premier League and with the best one in the world, you are not a side who are 
you know, the standard of the side third in the Premier League probably overall this season. Um, mm. So if they're getting knocked out, then perhaps there's a slight cause of concern. But, you know, going off kind of reputation and player for player in the squad. Um, yeah. Definitely. And last time we played them um, was back in 2007 and we beat them 7-0. So <laughs> got to keep up that record. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, we did talk about, you mentioned just then, the, the um, we had a slight little think about it in the week as well, didn't we? Um, about the chances of United and Arsenal perhaps meeting in the final. Now, mm. I would say it's probably easier for Arsenal overall, despite what we just said, to keep up their end of the bargain. Um, I think United have got a, we've you know they've got a habit, you know, Sevilla last year when they had a real chance of beating Shakhtar in the final, should they have got there. Um, it's probably a tougher route to the final, but uh, it looks on, doesn't it? It does look a very real possibility, United-Arsenal in the final. I think those two are favourites to get to the final. It's just whether, I mean, both teams are good enough. It's whether they can, you know, be good enough to prevent each side's weaknesses, if you know what I mean. Like Arsenal, like in the West Ham game of the weekend, we were good enough to win the game, but we gave ourselves too much to do. So, you know, that's that can happen a lot more in, in knockout competitions. If you if you play terribly in one half of the of a leg, then you've just got so much to do. But it is really exciting because as you say, it's very much on and what a, what sort of spectacle that would be an all English final. I mean, the last time that happened for Arsenal was was something I don't really like to go over with the Chelsea defeat. But you know, we're we're we're, we're in different times now. So yeah, that would be that would be excellent to see that happen. But you know, there's two rounds to go and I think you know, Arsenal Villarreal wouldn't be easy if we were to beat Slavia Prague, which isn't easy. And then for you as well, you know, if you get past Granada, then you've got Ajax or Roma, which is probably the the two other toughest opponents left in the uh, in the draw. But one team that won't be in the draw or aren't in the draw yeah. is Spurs. That, that is fun. the exact link that I was about to make. I think we were both thinking the exact same thing. Um, Spurs, obviously, I think kind of, we're rather complacent, it's fair to say, having won the uh, first leg 2-0 at home. And that came back to bite them on the behind. Uh, Zagreb's manager, Zoran Mamic, watching on in prison. Um, now, this is by far and away the, the, the game that I think we were perhaps going to get the most conversation out of this week, um, aside from maybe the three all of West Ham and Arsenal. Um, first of all, I think let's just take a moment before we start tearing into Spurs, just to appreciate the, the sublime hat-trick that um, Orsic scored. I think two of those three goals were just absolutely class, world-class. Stunning, stunning hat-trick. I, uh, I didn't watch the game, but I watched the highlights because why not? And they were, it, was, it was a truly you know, unbelievable hat-trick. Um, so you know, if anyone's going to win a tie and score three goals to overturn a 2-0 deficit, then that sort of merits going through to the next round. Um, so yeah, it was great to see. Now, just obviously talking about Spurs now, um, that was the main, the main talking point, just kind of how they collapsed really. Um, which, when you look at kind of all the signs of kind of, well, it's, first of all, it's Tottenham, and then, you know, it's kind of Mourinho kind of, you know, really back with his back against the wall. It's, you know, these are all, you know, things that aren't necessarily that surprised. I think kind of the manner in which it happened against, you know, the team that it happened against. Um, yeah. But it, it was a similar defeat to the one against Arsenal, actually, in some ways the week before, in that they only really began to show any threat after they went behind. And, I don't know, just to me, that feels like they're kind of playing for themselves, the players, rather than for Jose. Like, they're not going out to win for him. They're going out and just, you know, not really being particularly convincing. 
and mm. then also the hand like oh god we need to talk our game now yeah they I think you know all the all the post game sort of stuff and interviews with Mourinho and Lloris and you know you can tell that there's some some serious sort of uh, acrimony in the uh, in the dressing room and I think it's great as you say it's sort of a match made in heaven because Spurs have a tendency to you know mess it up and Mourinho has a tendency to sort of combust after a certain period of time at a certain club so you know I wasn't really surprised to see them you know continue their their poor run of form in the Zagreb game however to concede a 2-0 two, two lead um, you know when uh, to a team who aren't you know the, they, it was an excellent hat-trick but aren't very good is is pretty disgraceful and you know they, they did have a lot of chances in that sort of after going behind and that maybe they were unlucky not to not to pull one back but it was a, it was just a shame that they managed to somehow get a 2-0 win against Villa uh on on Sunday evening because I was really starting to to enjoy the 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 feeling of seeing Spurs lose every 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 couple of days and and just basking in that <laughs> yeah i mean you, you talk about the you know the fact they did have chances in that um, Europa League game. I think to be fair, the keeper Livak, I think he's called, um, did make some good saves to deny Kane. I think on a couple of occasions. Um, but I would say what I would say is the thing for me really was that after they did go well, even when they went one 0 down, perhaps, and then definitely when they went two 0 down, you'd have been an absolute fool to put any money on Spurs getting through at that point. Just like there was, I don't, I don't know if it is because it was Spurs. Like I don't want to keep going on about it, but there was never. I never had any like belief or confidence is maybe the wrong word, but I, I just it never occurred to me that Spurs would be able to turn it around. Mm. Yeah, and they do look like a team who, if if Jose Mourinho's tactical plan in adverted commas doesn't work, then what else? And if Kane isn't sort of carrying the team, then what else? If Son is injured, then what are your other options? Obviously, Gareth Bale has sort of been on the bench again. Lucas Moura is sort of playing a bit better as well, but they don't look like they have much. And I think um, that was a, a culmination of sort of bad dressing room, fed up with Mourinho, not having a very good playing style. And then sort of just, it all came to the centre and and they crashed out, which is hilarious. I mean, questions do have to be asked and they are being asked. Um, and I will ask you as well. Um, kind of about Mourinho's future and it's been really well documented kind of with the, the Amazon documentary and things kind of the behind the scenes and what the reasons were for Pochettino being sacked and what the reasons were for Mourinho coming in to replace him and aside from you know the first few weeks of the season when Mourinho's everyone's like oh Mourinho's got his mojo back he's got Spurs to top of the league I remember us sitting here and we were saying give it a few weeks give it a few weeks and it will just you know die down again which it, it, it inevitably did um so, you know, going forward, looking, you know, long-term again, because we seem to be quite good at that in terms of Spurs, what do you see happening in terms of Mourinho's future from here? I only, I think the only way he'd end up leaving because it is if it, if it seriously goes to pot and they start, you know, they, they finish the league in 10th or something and um, there's nothing to show for it. I think at that point you'd have to reconsider I still think there would be a chance he'd be in charge come the beginning of the season because he's just so expensive and to pay him off 
would cost you know an unholy amount of money and you know i was reading something the other day he's already made about i think it's upwards to 70 million pounds from various payoffs from the likes of real madrid chelsea manchester united he is i think the one of the best i mean obviously one of the best paid coaches in the world so i don't think it's a it's an option really for spurs especially at the moment in a, in a covid stricken world without fans they just don't have the money to sort of pay off Mourinho having said that as well not having said that but you know bearing in mind that up until uh, Pochettino got his PSG job they were still paying him his his sort of full wage so you know they they can't afford for Mourinho to be the mistake that we all think is inevitably going to happen what I think will happen I still think Spurs will have enough to qualify for Europe um, in the league this season I really hope they don't but I hope to see them get smashed by City in the in the League Cup final and then it would be great to see them sort of plummet down the table. But I think they'll probably, you know, they're still only a couple of points off top four. So I'm sure they'll be able to, to make it work with Kane and whatnot. Yeah, well, I would have thought that was perhaps Spurs' best chance of Champions League qualification kind of through a, although we know Spurs are the, the cup tournament format doesn't really lend itself to Tottenham. But then again, neither does the league format. But um just thought kind of in a series of one-off games, it could maybe have, you know, strung a bit of a run together in the Europa League. But, um, you know, they are firmly, you know, their, their priority is firmly on the league again now. And then maybe, I suppose actually, in fairness, the uh, Carabao Cup's perhaps the best chance for me because they're on a one-off game. Although, as you say, do you really fancy them beating City? I'm not so sure. Um, what I would say is I perhaps wouldn't have, you know, because it is Mourinho and United and all that, I wouldn't have fancied Spurs in the next round of the Europa League. I do think that could have been a perhaps quite a dangerous one. So I think from a kind of a selfish perspective as well in that respect, I'd kind of much rather see uh, Dynamo Zagreb appearing in a, in a future round than... Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, again, it's sort of like United. I'd be I'd be very, very nervous getting United or Spurs in a, in a two-legged game. I mean, obviously in a final as well, but it's slightly different because it's the last, last step and you can't really you know, the excitement just gets too much. But the idea of playing Spurs in a in a two-legged knockout round would just be, uh, would be pretty terrifying. So I'm glad that, I mean, I still think we're a better team than them and we'd, we'd beat them. But, um, you know, I, I would, I'm glad that that's not within the realms of possibility now and, and they, they deservedly are out. Oh, 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 oh,
Celtic not wanting to give Rangers the guard of honour and kind of there's not much to say about this really but just kind of how I thought that was quite a, a, a quite a, just generally an unsporting thing to do and as it happened they decided not to um, which was somewhat disappointing they couldn't prevent uh, Rangers going unbeaten this season in the games it turned out they weren't one up ended up drawing one all uh, but they did prevent Rangers from being able to reach their record points total which is ridiculous given Rangers have now dropped only 10 points all season and that's not enough to uh, Get the yeah. point total record. I was reading. I did a bit of reading around Rangers and and Gerard and the rest of it, sort of over the over the weekend, and the sort of statistics. Are both, you know, I didn't. I wasn't aware that now they're they're unable to to beat Celtic's record. I think it was one hundred and six points or something, um, something like that. But you know, they've conceded something like nine goals in in total in in the league. Um, scoring plenty obviously unbeaten and i think you know i think uh, Ray, uh steven gerrard's impact at rangers when you i was reading sort of uh, on the athletic a, a really in-depth piece about sort of you know the journey that they've gone on under under steven gerrard and it does sound in like ridiculously impressive in terms of the discipline that he's installed and you know the mentality and it looks like that 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 sort of success of Gerard is really something to be proud of for him as a as a sort of young up and coming manager to sort of do that and knock Celtic off their pedestal as well. Yeah, I mean he's now the uh, seems ridiculous really, but he is now the longest serving manager in the Scottish Premier League as well. So it just kind of shows maybe what a bit of longevity can do for you. Yeah. Um, but I just think kind of for him going forward as a manager, you know, he's got that job as long as he wants it now. I mean, the wheels are never going to fall off there. He's always going to be in the top two in the league. He's shown yeah. that he can get them playing in Europe. Um, you know, the world's his oyster when, you know, in Rangers, he's, you know, he can stay there, as I say, probably for as many seasons as he likes. And then there'll be, you know, any other team in, in well, certainly in England, in the Premier League would would be happy to him. So if he just keeps applying his trade up there, you know, it's, Absolutely yeah, fantastic. Just huge prospects. I think here the the plan will probably be, um, hopefully Klopp can get through this at Liverpool and sort of set Liverpool up on their next cycle, and then when the time is right, whenever that is, 
Klopp will probably go and manage the German national team and who better to sort of take the reins than than uh, Steven Gerrard, who's had, you know, five, six un- un- uninterrupted years of establishing a sort of coaching identity and methods for him to then come back to Anfield and, uh, and take the reins. I-, I would imagine that that's definitely in in the minds of of those making the decisions at Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, Klopp's kind of ruled himself, ruled himself out of the Germany job. I think it's, uh, it's Stefan Kuntz. Got to be careful how you say his name's kind of in the frame for the... Yeah, I think I think I think Klopp suggested that he's. I think it's understood that at some point he would, but right now, you know, if he were to ever leave Liverpool, which he's not, he would take a like a year break. So, you know, obviously, um, the current German manager is stepping down. I can never pronounce his name, Jurgi Love, uh, if that's how you say it. But yeah, he's not in the immediate sort of um, frame for for replacing him. Well, while we're on uh, internationals, that's kind of worked out quite well because we can kind of do a weird kind of indirect segue into talking about England, who have got uh, three World Cup qualifiers on the horizon. Um, perhaps the big game of the three, Poland, is next Wednesday, so we can perhaps save the excitement of talking about that one for another week. And just in the last few minutes we've got, we can kind of preview uh, home game against San Marino and <laughs> the away game against Albania. Um which I think really, I think it, the only thing you can say really about that is if we're sitting here this time next week and England haven't got six points and something's gone catastrophically wrong. How, I, I, this is just a question. How many times have England played San Marino? It seems like every single international break we're playing San Marino. And maybe we, that's the case, but yeah. just, we've played them so many times. They always seem to be in our, as a friendly or in a group or because I don't really follow, you know, the, the off season of, of England football, but I'm sure there's a reason for it. But yeah, um, San Marino and Albania should be should be easy victories, and it would be good to see some of the exciting picks in the squad because obviously that was announced last week. Mm. Likes of Lingard, maybe Ollie Watkins getting a run out. I'm hoping Sak- Bakayo Saka doesn't play too much because I don't want you know it's, it's three games in the space of about a week, so. I'm hoping that Southgate is sort of smart with his team selection. Obviously, it's important, but, you know, I'm sure a lot of managers will be uh, sweating on the fitness of of all of the, their players by the time they come back, you know, in a couple of weeks because it's, uh, it's, it's crazily intense, the, the schedule. Yeah, I mean, that's probably more of a talking point, isn't it, rather than the two games themselves, probably the, the team selection, the squad selection. Mm. Um, and one... Perhaps the biggest talking point at the moment in the England national team is that of you know goalkeeper Pickford's out injured. Uh, I'm not sure how long for, but certainly for these upcoming international games, I think the expectation is that he'll be back well before the Euros. But even so, you've got Henderson, you've got Pope, you've got Sam Johnston who's got his first international call up. Mm. Um, you know, that's a, there's an opportunity now for a for a real scrap to uh, commence for that um, you know that goalkeeping spot. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Dean Henderson starts or it's like, I, I'm sure they'll all get a run out in the games. I wouldn't, I'd think. Um, I think Dean Henderson's probably the most suited to the to the role just in terms of, you know, the sort of calibre of club he plays for and the types of players he plays with. Obviously, Maguire's probably going to play for England at the back. Um, I don't think wan is in the squad. Um I mean, that's the other thing. I think a lot of people are, are sort of uh, very surprised. Obviously, Liverpool haven't had the best season by any stretch, but the fact that Trent Alexander-Arnold was left out of the squad in, and and Kieran Trippier, who has been banned for 10 weeks and, and only just made his comeback in Spain, 
Uh, obviously, he's been good for England in the past, but you know, a player of, of Alexander-Arnold's quality, and he started to look a bit better over the last couple of weeks, was left out. Um, I thought was slightly surprising given you know he's one of the most talented players of, of his generation and in the England squad so I think even if he's not playing at levels of last year and Liverpool aren't playing well I still think you know you, you sort of find find room to include him but you know as we know as we've talked about before there's so many right backs competing for that spot so I guess maybe it's a case of of letting others have a go um, but I don't know what you made of that decision. I think it's I just think in general, I think it's about time. I think over the last few years, we've been loyalty and I think to a certain extent, fairly. Um, but it's getting to the point where, you know, the likes of Pickford, Trippier, Dyer even, are getting picked just on the heroics of the 2018 World Cup. And mm. I think it is time we get to that stage where we do gen- genuinely start refreshing the squad. Um, I think it's about time Pickford had a bit of time out of the side just to let other players have the chance because he has kind of monopolised that, that role in goal for England, perhaps slightly undeservedly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm just, I'm glad that we do have the opportunity. And the likes of Ollie Watkins as well. Uh, it's just a different face, isn't it? Um, yeah. Now, I would rather Jamie Vardy, you know, reconsidered his decision to retire from the national team. But, you know, it's his choice. But I do think that he, uh, he certainly would be one of the first names um, in the squad. For- yeah, I mean, there's so many options, to be fair. I think Patrick Bamford was, was definitely unlucky to miss out. Um, obviously, the Dominic Calvert-Lewin gets called up as well, deservedly so. So, you know, Watkins there with Kane and, and Calvert-Lewin. Obviously, Vardy's retired from international duty. You've got Bamford knocking on the door. There's plenty of other options as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a good chance for sort of players to state their claim and especially for someone like Jesse Lingard. I mean, the moment of his move to West Ham couldn't have come at a better time because not only is he had the opportunity to play more minutes, but he's found a team that suited him. And at a time when likes of Jack Grealish, James Madison, um, I think there's another one, are out injured. So there's plenty of injuries. Jadon Sancho as well. So for him to be able to come in and sort of, you know, show that he's capable, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Lingard sort of ends up in the, in the squad come the summer based on current uh, context, you know? No, I would agree with that. Um, it's kind of coming from nowhere really, hasn't it? But, uh, yeah, I think that's quite a good place to end on, uh, thinking Jesse Lingard's going to get in the Euros Cup for summer. That's a nice positive note to end this week on. Um, <laughs> so we'll leave it there. We'll reconvene next week when we've got two uh, enthralling England matches to just discuss. Yeah. Um, and then, thankfully, thank heavens, the Premier League will be back. So uh, we will still be able to talk about that. We won't have a week of solely talking about England because we tried that once before and it was very difficult to get an hour out of it. Um, so... Uh, Thanks for joining me again this week, Alfie. Uh, have a good week. Have a, enjoy making your dinner tonight. Um, and uh, I'll see you again next week. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.